Welcome into the Redbird Report. I'm Tom Prisman alongside the Vedette Sports Editors. Mike Mara, Nate Head. Guys, great to be with you here. We're off on Labor Day Monday, recording this on Labor Day Monday. Of course, the ISU football team opened up their 2017 campaign in dominating fashion. And let's hear from both of you guys. You were in the press box and you watched as the Redbird football team scored more points than the defense allowed yards. 45 points for the Redbird offense, 41 yards allowed by the the Redbird defense, an all-around dominating performance and a win over Butler. Well, it was a historic night, especially considering that Illinois State set a new record at Hancock Stadium. Not Illinois State record, Illinois State record of Hancock Stadium with yards allowed. They only allowed 41. I believe the prior record was 86 yards against 86 yards against Eastern Illinois in 1963. So, I mean, I don't know, kind of impressive, especially just considering. How high how high powered offenses run in college football nowadays? You see everybody running a spread, running the hurry up. I don't know. I kind of you expect a, a, a Division one football program to put up more than forty one yards. And I mean, if you look at the rushing yards, they held they were held to zero, a goose egg. I mean, they were negative for what three and a half of those quarters. So I. I I don't know. Hats off to the defense. They're, they were as advertised, and the offense kind of surprised, too. I know that was the one thing that Nate and I had talked about all summer long was the offense is probably going to struggle at some point in the season. Obviously, you're not going to struggle much against a team like Butler. I mean, Butler really didn't look as good as... Yeah, I was going to say, I think one thing we have to kind of couch this conversation before we even really get into a larger discussion is that Butler just simply did not look very good. I know they're a non-scholarship team out of the Pioneer League, but even still, they were picked seventh in the Pioneer League. You talk about offensively. They're changing their offense. They're going from an option scheme last year to a pro-style offense, and I said this on the air over at WZD where I called the game. Didn't look like a pro style offense. It looked like a high school offense on on, on Friday on Saturday night. Rather, it was a disappointing offensive performance. How much Nate do you think that was the Redbird defense, and how much do we just think that was Butler just not being a a team that was ready for their first game offensively with a new scheme? You know, well, it's hard to tell. Um, I am impressed by the defense, um, so I'm going to go with that. It was more just the Illinois State's, uh, you know, strength of defense. Now we know Butler obviously isn't very powerful, and, and you know, talented and all that stuff. But you know, it's really impressive to hold a team to you know zero rushing yards and 21 carries. I mean, that just speaks for itself. No matter the program, I mean, zero yards is just insane. And then less than 45. Passing yards. I mean, I, I don't. It doesn't really, to me, matter what the team is. Um, that's just a testament to you know how solid the ISU defense is, and they came out and you know after a, a summer of the defense being the storyline, you know they came out and uh, you know they kind of showed why. So I was really impressed with that. Absolutely, I think you made a good point. I think no matter the competition, especially for a team like Butler, who was behind the whole game basically, had to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Let's ignore the, even just the rushing stats, which I think speak for themselves. 41 passing yards on the number of attempts that Butler had in that game, that's what really stood out to me. The, the pass defense was really, really good. They got in Will Marty's face, the quarterback from Butler. He didn't have a lot of time and never looked comfortable in the pocket. And I think you go now to the other side. Let's talk a little bit about the Redbird offense. One thing, Mike, we should note was a slow start for the Redbirds. It was nothing-nothing after the first quarter of play, and obviously after that 45 unanswered, Redbirds looked fine, but that first quarter maybe a little bit of signs of what we were worried about from the Redbird offense. Jake Colby had a little happy feed in the pocket, never quite got com- comfortable, and the Redbird you know, offense could not put up any points in the first quarter. And I think the, the key 
person you mentioned there is Jay Colby because he's really the one that all eyes are going to be on outside the offensive line, but really the offensive line is going to grow and, and mold as they do. Whether And they were not going to be tested necessarily by Butler or a team that with less size and less speed than you're going to see from a, a normal, t- typical FCS defensive line. No, and, and I'm going to stray away from Jay Colby just for one second because I think it's key to – as soon as – you know the second the second string and the third string started coming in for both from both sides the one first string team that stayed out there for more than three quarters was the first string offensive line so I think that goes to show you maybe the worry you know kind of nervousness as far as Illinois State's offensive line goes because if you're going to keep those guys in there I don't think it's so they can keep their second string running back and second string quarterback healthy it's I think it's because they need they need game time they need reps I mean that the one thing we hear about offensive line so often is just the fact that you, that you need to get time just to play together and jail as a unit and there's something much different from doing it in a practice, in a red-white scrimmage at Hancock Stadium in front of 100 people on a Saturday afternoon, doing it in practice on an August day, where the, rather than doing it in the fourth quarter of a game, even if it's a blowout still, just the the practice of playing four quarters as an offensive line, I think that is something that will help the Redbirds. But I do want to kind of guide us back a little bit to Jake Colby. That's the real guy that we're talking about, and he all eyes are on him. The running attack was great, and we'll talk about them in a moment, but first... All eyes on Jake Colby, the, the now junior quarterback, second-year starter. Like you said, Tom, I think, to say the least, the first quarter was really disappointing. I mean, I know I, so we sat in the press box, and I kind of just thought, this is this is the problem everybody was worried about, and this is kind of the Jake Colby that I think most people outside of the Illinois State football program thought he was going to be. Because outside of a few people, I, there aren't many high expectations Due to the bar he set last year, I mean, obviously this is a program that is looking to get back to the get back in the playoffs for the fourth straight season under SPAC, and you know, make him pass the second round. I mean, second round exit two years ago with Trey Roberson as the quarterback, and then last year first round exit versus Central Arkansas. I mean, so this is a team that wants to get back. I, they're looking at Colby to lead them, and that first quarter didn't look very good. But let's go back to the you know the final three where they did put up 45 unanswered points. There were a couple balls, and I think the first touchdown pass to Gibbs, I, I think you got to give credit to Gibbs there. He went up and grabbed it. He had two guys on him, and he just kind of snagged that one out of the air. But then outside of that, I, I think Colby looked. He showed a little bit more composure, and that was the one thing Spack said in his press conference was he showed what they expected, what he's shown in camp, and things he didn't – that you didn't see out of Colby a season ago, kind of like the maturity, you know, be able to stay co- cool, calm, and collective after not having a great first quarter. So I, overall, he, he played well, but the first quarter is concerning because it was the first time you see a new opponent. And you're going to start now every week, you're going to start seeing a new opponent. Obviously, have a bye week this week. But you're every opponent outside the rest of the schedule, I don't care who it is, is going to be better than Butler. Maybe the only person that you might, or the only team you might see on there that you think may not be as good as Butler, the same level as Missouri State. Missouri State just continues to struggle. But outside of that, I still think they're going to be, they're still going to be better than Butler because Butler, like we said, is not, not a quality opponent. Nate, one thing I do want to ask you, uh, you guys are both around, you and Mike obviously have the sources, you guys are around the program a lot, what was the, the you guys listened and talked with Brock's back after the game, what was the mood from the coaching staff and just talking with people in the last couple of days, what do you think the feeling around the program is about Jake Colby and his performance on Saturday when you heard from Spack and others in the last couple hours and couple of days? 
Uh, so leading up to the game, I think Spack's big thing that he was talking about was the steps that Colby has made throughout the summer. Uh, one thing that he's mentioned several times was the uh, the weight that he's put on uh, of muscle. So he said his you know arm strength has improved as a result of that. He said he's always been accurate, which we saw on Saturday night. He made a lot of you know mid-range short passes uh, at a very high you know percentage. So uh, those aspects look nice. Um, something that Spack mentioned post game, and something I noticed as well during the game is, you know, Colby took a couple shots um, down the field that could have potentially been, you know, breakaway touchdowns. And, um, you know, both times he, you know, they could not connect on him. I think one was to Fowler, and I think he overthrew him, and uh, he clearly had the safety, you know, behind him. So Spack uh, specifically mentioned that Fowler play and said that's something they really need to work on, that's something they need to connect on. But, you know, just generally speaking, I I think the – you know, the thoughts are pretty high on Colby uh, within the program. I think Spack believes in him. Um, you know, he took him out early to, you know, protect him. So, you know, he's the guy, and uh, that's who they're going to ride with. And, you know, he, he showed that he's definitely capable. And I think that's a storyline we're going to be monitoring the rest of the season. I think we're going to continue pretty much every week, I imagine, the podcast after a Redbird football game. We're going to have a little check-in with Jake Colby because he's the guy, when you talk about this Redbird football team, He's really a polarizing figure right now in the program and how boosters and everyone else feels about him. But let's move on from Colby now. We'll get to him and everyone else next week, I'm sure, once again here on the Redbird Report. as We're talking Illinois State football. How about the running backs? I think that was the takeaway from my side. Calling the game for WZND, we saw a tremendous amount of versatility in the backfield. Really, four different running backs all had major impacts on the game. And you would even say the the starter, James Robinson, maybe had the worst of the four games. And even he had some nice carries, had some nice runs. And everyone who touched the ball in the backfield seemed like they had a really nice impact on the game. And it was a great sign to see. What do you see from your perspective, Mike? Well, first off, you've seen how heavily they're going to run the football this year. Excuse me. Um, that was the one thing that Spack has said since the spring game, you know, whatever it's been, six months ago, maybe a little less than that. But in spring, uh, he said they're going to rely heavily on a committee of running backs because that was the one thing we had asked him, me specifically, I asked him if, if James Robinson was going to be the guy carrying the load or if it was going to be a committee. And he said, we've got a lot of guys that are coming in, two transfers. Uh, you got R.T. Henderson, who was a red shirt. And so, like, there's a lot of new faces in the backfield. And he said, it will not be – you will not see – number 25 in the backfield like you used to whereas Marshawn Coppridge was carrying the load he was a three down back you're not going to see a lot of three down backs and especially after that that's the one thing that we can look at outside of the defense on Saturday night that's going to stay consistent throughout the entire year and I think it's going to be the fact that Illinois State's going to be able to run the football fairly well the depending on how this offensive line gels and molds. Obviously against Butler, there were gaping holes. There were some times, though, and I think back to the first half when the Butler defense looked a little bit fresher, where Robinson was in the backfield a couple times. That offensive line will be interesting to track. And we talked about Colby. The way to help out Jay Colby, I think we can all agree, is he established that running game. We saw in the second half, really, when the running game got going, it opened up passing lanes for Colby, and that helped him out a lot. But one guy, Mike, I saw you had a quote about this from SPAC in your in your story that's on the Vedette, ran online after the game on Saturday. And, Mike, you talk about Jordan Birch. He was a fascinating story. I thought that was a really interesting anecdote in your story. Just take us, tell us a little bit more about Jordan Birch, who obviously had the highlight real play, the play that we'll remember from that game down the line from Saturday. Yeah, number six on the ESPN top top ten, which, you know, 
I, I, I really didn't expect it to be, be on there. First day of college football, all those college football games. But a very impressive play nonetheless. First touchdown. I mean, how about that for your first career touchdown run? But just going on about Birch, that comment by Spat kind of took me off guard because that's something that I hadn't known about. I hadn't heard any rumblings of. And so when he said he was going to move him to, to defense, I mean, you look at the you look at him. He's a big boy in the backfield. Like he, when you looks see, looks like a linebacker. Yeah, I was just going to say he he doesn't have a, a t- your prototypical running back feel. But you know, once once he gets the ball in his hands, I mean, you've seen what he could do. He, he's explosive. He can absolutely get off the ground <laughs> in more than one way. Um, so you know, I, I think that's going to be a guy that. He's four string right now, so I don't know if you're going to see a lot of him this season. Obviously, after that play, people are probably going to be like, "Oh, let's see what Birch does now." But when we look, when you look at the logistics of it, I don't. And it also depends on how deep Spack wants to use his running back by committee. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him as like a, a two carry, three carry. Get, yeah, I was going to say it seems like it does seem like we saw some drives even in the first half where we did not see James Robinson for really a whole series, and it seemed like it was the second and third and. Even sometimes we saw Birch as the fourth string running back getting carries, but I would say we're probably not going to see him on the field for maybe more than 10 to 15 plays a game, if that. Yeah, I, I don't see it, especially when you get into games like Western Illinois. Once you get in that back end of the season when you're playing, when you got Murderer's Row, when you got South Dakota State, North Dakota State, Youngstown State, and you know to end the season. I just I don't I don't and it, obviously that's far away but I'm just using that as your typical game a game against a quality opponent where you know you're deadlocked 17-14 and you need a score you need to drive the ball down the field I just don't know how if that Birch isn't going to be your guy this year and that's all I'm getting at but an interesting take from Spack to want to move him to defense we just talk about if you do move him on to the defense he would be one of those big bodies you know and you're going to lose Devonta Harris you know at the end of this season so I, it's off the tables but that's a guy you could sit there and be like we can move him to linebacker he's quick he's athletic i don't think the other thing i thought about when when i saw that quote is maybe moving him sort of to an h back where maybe not not exactly a tight end not exactly a fullback but somewhere in between where you talked about his nice hands as well you get him involved in the passing game you still have the ability to run with him and have him be a blocker he's obviously got a big body so i think there's ways to get Birch involved in the offense. One thing I do want to mention before we go over to Redbird Volleyball and finish up this edition of the Redbird Report is Markel Smith. Smith was incredible. The transfer from the Division II level, he stood out, and he's going to test James Robinson for that head the, for the head job as the feature running back, and those two are going to push each other, and it seems like right now at the top, even ignoring the 3-4, you have a two-headed monster at the top that's going to be very dangerous. I mean, 88 yards on 10 carries. I mean, he looked like a beast. You want to talk, and, and this is not a knock on James Robinson, but James Robinson is wearing number 25, who we all know who the last running back to wear number 25 was, Marshawn Coppridge. You want to talk about a guy who looked a little bit more like Marshawn Coppridge on Saturday night? It's Markel Smith. I think he's going to be. You want to talk about a guy who down the line I think is going to get a load of the carries and carry the load, it's going to be Markel Smith. And Nate, I do want to get you in here before we go over to volleyball. What do you, what do you make of this now almost? Full running back committee. Who do you think comes out with most of the carries? It'll be interesting to see. On Saturday, it seemed, did seem like Smith was getting the most of the carries. Do we think that'll continue? Do we think it'll be Robinson? Or do we even think maybe Henderson or Birch comes up there and gets involved? Man, it's such a uh, you know unique dynamic they have going on in the backfield. Really, either of these guys, or, or should I say any of these guys, um, if I was a coach, I'd become 
comfortable, you know, handing them the you know majority of, of my workload. But, you know, moving forward, uh, I agree with Mike. I think Markel Smith will, you know, gradually um, take over the number one spot. I think Robinson will also get his looks as well. Um, I like using him in the goal line set. I think Robinson would be, um, you know, solid in those kinds of situations. Uh, but one guy who, you know, kind of was overlooked his performance by you know the starter Robinson or you know Markel Smith's game and of course Jordan Birch's you know highlight real play to me was uh, Artis Henderson you know he ran the ball five times and he looked uh, you know he looked quick and was explosive and he actually had the highest um, you know average per carry um, you know on the team he had in five carries he averaged 11 yards for you know 56 he really including reeling off that 28 yard run that was a big play when the Redbirds were kind of sputtering a little bit offensively right so he was something that he was a guy that I was really interested in um, in that set in that four back set so I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised to see him get more than five carries next week it's gonna or I should say the week after it's gonna be really interesting to see you know how SPAC decides to divvy up the carries uh, when they take the field September 16th I believe and I think the one thing that we can say for sure is it's not a bad problem at all to have that you have too many talented running backs and you have to figure out how to handle, handle all these carries. That's not a bad problem for Brock's back to have at all. No, it's not a bad. It's not bad at all. And before we go over to volleyball, I don't mean to cut you off. I know you're out here, but the one thing that I think me and Nate were caught off guard by, and as we talk about quarterback play, I apologize not bringing it up sooner, is Spack mentioned that the reason why Malachi Broadnax got in the game instead of Tristan Smith. Which was interesting because just for people that don't know, when we all get the two depth, the the, the two deep, excuse me, in the press box, and Tristan Smith is listed as the backup, we did not see Brodnick on that at all. But then when it goes to the second team offense, we saw Brodnick's come in. The reason for that, and Spack said after the game, is they're leaving that red shirt option open for Tristan Smith. And so he, he really didn't elaborate much more on that other than the fact that it gives him another year of eligibility, which kind of shows you how high they are on him in, in a sense because he he has looked good. I, I talked to Nate after the uh, the red-white scrimmage two weeks ago now, and I said Smith looked a little bit better than Colby did. Obviously, he, he's – well, actually, I take that back because they did the second-string offense versus the first-string defense, and he looked a bit better than Colby. But either way, it's interesting to see. But, I mean, can we talk about how Malachi Broadnax actually looked pretty good? I mean – he was up there. He he rallied off a long run. I just it was an interesting dynamic and a takeaway that I just wanted to. No, I agree. I think the quarterback situation will be interesting as it develops. Brodnick redshirted last year, so part of the reason that Tristan Smith obviously when he started the game at Indiana State. I would say I think from my perspective that was a maybe an uninspiring performance against Indiana State, but what you hear from people in the program, and I know Nate, you could probably agree with this as well, that it does seem like there's a lot of support for Tristan Smith within the program, maybe ignoring I, on the outside. Obviously, people remember that Indiana State performance, remember sort of being up and down, but he's looked very good in spring and now fall practice. Yeah, I think Tristan Smith's definitely going to be an interesting guy moving forward in, in, in the years, um, you know, in a couple years after Colby. Um, I think they really like his athleticism, kind of what Broadnax showed. I mean, he showed he can get out of the pocket and make plays for himself. I think Tristan Smith has that same ability, and I think he can uh, throw the ball a little bit better as well. And just quickly, um, you know, kind of elaborating on Spack's comments after the game regarding Smith, um, he mentioned that they were still, you know, deciding. They're leaving that option open by not 
having him in the game. So if Smith would have went in the game just for even a snap, that option to put the red shirt on him would have been out the window. So there's still, I think he said he's going to talk to the coaches. I think he said Tristan has, you know, talked to the coaches about it. It sounds like he's something he's open to, but uh, I think that's something that's going to be decided, um, you know, obviously before they take the field in, in a couple weeks. So. I think it'll be interesting to watch as well. I think if we saw an injury to Jake Colby, I still think we'd probably see Tristan Smith go into the game, especially. If it was a game where it's on the line, thinking back to the Indiana State game where Colby could not start, I still think we'd see Tristan Smith. But we'll, you don't know. And certainly Brodnicks did show me a lot on Saturday night where I think maybe as a guy who comes in maybe a one, one, or two plays a ga- one or two plays a game where he comes in just to change things up, he has that potential to run the option, which is why we saw the Birch highlight real play. He ran a couple of really nice read options and speed options out to the wide parts of the field. You want to talk about somebody who looks like a guy who wore a, a jersey number in years past? He looked a lot like Trey Roberson. And now, we didn't see him throw the ball much, and obviously that no. was partly situation because they were up by so much you didn't need to throw the ball. But we do I do have to mention, before we compare him to Trey Roberson, not that many passing attempts, and we didn't see him really drop back. But the no. running game, for, for sure. The running game, for sure. Um you know, I'll base my passing off of the scrimmage that he did get snaps in the scrimmage, where he showed he had a strong arm. Which I mean, again, a lot like Trey looks. Again, you're playing a red white scrimmage on a Saturday afternoon in front of you know 400, 500 people. So, but uh, he looks like he has a lot of upside, and that's a good thing. Again, it's a good thing to have because if you retro Tristan Smith, I don't think you're going to sit there and be like, well, we're going to miss a beat if we have to throw in our second string quarterback. And that's the real question. You hope that your second-string quarterback can do what your first-stringer can. Redbirds now have a week off, a weird bye week to have week number two of the season not have an opponent, but does allow them some more time to get ready for Eastern Illinois. What are you guys hearing about sort of the Redbirds' preparation as they get ready now with a week off for Eastern Illinois? There, right now, Spack said that they were just going to enjoy Saturday night's victory. Uh, I know I'm. I'm interested to see tomorrow's or here rather uh, his press conference tomorrow. Just because a week two bye week, I, I don't like that. And and that's just when you look at how deep this schedule goes. And Nate and I really talked about this a lot over the summer. You look at those final four games, and you've got Youngstown State. You're at Youngstown State. You come home. You have Western. You have Western Illinois, and then you go to South Dakota State. You end North Dakota State. Those are four games. And I know Tom. You, that's what they call Murderer's Row. I know that's that's you know back in high school football. Obviously, it's not the same thing. But we had a situation like that, and we call it Murderer's Row because it's like those are four games that you go into, and I think the weakest of those four games is is Western Illinois. But when you play that long of a stretch, I mean, you're still playing Western Illinois is a quality MBFC opponent. I. I don't like the fact that they have a bye week this early because you could really use a bye week later in the year. And at that point, when you don't have that many weeks off, you're gonna now now you're playing ten straight weeks. Yeah, this is certainly not I think ideal. I don't think it's something Brock's back would have hoped for, but it's a situation the Redbirds find themselves in. I'm sure we'll talk more about their preparation for Eastern Illinois coming up September 16th. Redbirds on a bye this weekend, but one team that is home, making a rare home appearance in the month of September, is the Illinois State women's volleyball team. They host the Redbird Classic coming up this weekend. And guys, a big opportunity for the Redbirds to kind of find themselves so far on the road, 2-4. and four. They've been very good on Fridays. They're 2-0 and oh on Fridays, and they've been swept on consecutive Saturdays. 
Florida and Baylor, Florida State and Baylor last Saturday, and then this Saturday, some disappointing results as well as they were swept aside. So now looking forward to this Redbird Classic, what do you expect from this Redbird women's volleyball team? Well, I think it's it's easy to say that you want to say they're going to take all three games that they play over the weekend, but I think the way the spurts that they've shown, I think it's safe to say that they're a hundred percent. They have they have a thousand win percentage on on Friday, so I think they're going to win on Fridays on, on Friday night's game. I I don't know what to expect. And we should mention by the way they're playing Dayton on Friday, and then on Saturday it'll be Cincinnati and Seton Hall. Those are the those are the three teams coming to Redbird Arena. Yeah. If, if we want to take a serious look at the volleyball team, I think we're gonna you you'll have to go out. And I know all of us in some and some way are working uh, this weekend for the volleyball tournament, so we're all going to get a glimpse. It's just interesting because for me, I have not seen the volleyball team. Uh, they, you know, two and four, a new head coach. I think a lot of it's, I think a lot of this weekend is going to be adjusting to Leah Johnson. I mean, it's her first game at Redbird Arena as the new ISU head coach. I, I think it's going to be a little new look, and I think that's the one thing that Jalen Keene, I know, specifically spoke upon at Media Day, was the fact that Sure, you know, the, the only good thing about when you get a new coach in is all the verbiage stays the same, but when you bring in new schemes, there's going to be adjustments, there's going to be a, a, a growing period, a trust period. There, It's a whole process. It's a long process. Um, and so I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a team that doesn't look out of sorts, but a team that's still trying to, like you said, find themselves. And so it'll be Dayton 7 o'clock on Friday, and Seton Hall 12.30 on Saturday, Cincinnati 7 o'clock on Saturday. You mentioned Two and four starts. They were swept on Saturday by Kennesaw State and UC Irvine. Wins over so far St. Louis and UC Santa Barbara. Nate, what's interesting as we talk about Redbird Volleyball is they almost pulled off a huge upset over Florida State. This is a team that took Florida State to five sets, the number 15 team in the country. And then they respond the following weekend by dropping games to Kennesaw State and UC Irvine, two teams that I think the Redbirds feel like they could have or at least maybe should have beaten. Instead, now they're 2-4 and four and kind of a difficult spot, but a good opportunity to play at home. Yeah, I think they're definitely looking forward to, you know, getting back to Redbird Arena or actually getting there, uh, you know, for the first time this season. Uh, you know, you mentioned the, the close matches against, you know, Florida State. Uh, that's a nationally ranked team, so, you know, maybe – that it, it could be a, a thing where they're getting, you know, when they're playing a team like this, there might be a different, you know, competitive edge when they're playing against somebody like this. They might get a little bit more, you know, hyped up for a game like this. And, you know, maybe they, they need to bring that same kind of fire to when they're playing teams like they did last weekend against, you know, on Saturday. So, you know, not an ideal start for the volleyball team, but, you know, still very early. And, um, I, you know, I think there's definitely reason for optimism, you know, moving forward. Be interesting to watch for sure. I'll make you guys give me a prediction before we sign off here on the Redbird Report. We mentioned the matchups. Dayton, Seton Hall, Cincinnati. Sat for, obviously Dayton on Friday and then 12.30, 7 o'clock on Saturday. I think one thing to watch for the Redbirds, I'll give you a little key. Talking with some people in the program, it does seem like they're trying to still figure out the rotation. This will be a good opportunity in front of the home fans and an opportunity you don't have to travel. I think the Redbirds will look sharp this week, and I think, they, I think they'll – Take the Saturday, the Friday match against Dayton, and then split on Saturday. Probably taking the nightcap against Cincinnati. Think a two and one tournament for the Redbirds, and they move closer to 500. I'm gonna second that. I'm gonna go two and one. I think they win. They go. T- I think they win the first two games. And I think they lose to Cincinnati. I just three games in a weekend. I know they're getting used to it. I just two and one over the weekend, losing to Cincinnati. But again, they inch closer to finding themselves. 
As much as I'd like to, you know, step out of the fray, I was also thinking <laughs> two and one. So uh, that's what I'll lock in, and I'll have them losing Saturday night against Cincinnati as well. So there we go. Well, you guys are getting a whole lot of different predictions out here. <laughs> That will do it for this edition of the Redbird Report. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, for another edition of the Redbird Report. We'll be probably recapping the volleyball matches, and we'll also be previewing the Illinois State football team's important matchup against Eastern Illinois. But that does it for this edition. For Nate Head and Mike Marr, signing off from the Vedette offices, I'm Tom Prizman saying have a good night, and thanks for listening.